0: Let's continue in prayer. Lord God, we have just witnessed evidence of the power of your Holy Spirit, the presence of your Spirit, and the power of your Word as those people were baptized today, Lord, all five of them, and we praise and thank you for that. And now, Lord, as we open your word together, we pray the same things, that your spirit would be richly present with us and that your word would go forth in power. And Lord, that any um, chaff or unrefined dross that Pastor Brent has mixed in would be ruled out, taken out, and that you, Lord, would be lifted high, magnified, glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this week, as we continue our journey through the book of Daniel, uh, we come to the part of the story that many of us perhaps learned in childhood, the fiery furnace into which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast. And something that stands out, really, in the the 12 verses that we plan to look at this morning is the prevalence of fire terms. Hence the slide on the screen there it's like the text itself warms up heats up as the writer uses for example the phrase burning fiery furnace four times in these 12 verses and the word fire six times and the word heated twice and overheated once so things get hot now in the story. But in actual fact, friends, there's something that has already been hot in the story. And that is, you may have noticed, Nebuchadnezzar's anger. In chapter 2, verse 12, Nebuchadnezzar had been hot in his anger toward his counselors there, who had failed to help him, remember, with the content and the meaning of his dream. And then again, in chapter 3, verse 12, 13, Nebuchadnezzar had been there in furious rage, burning with indignance, as the Chaldeans reported that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had failed to bow down to his statue. And now this morning, we come to chapter 3, verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar is hot all over again. He is filled with fury. As the text says, Nebuchadnezzar, I think, if we can play armchair psychologist for just a moment, I think he has anger issues. The hot furnace is not the only thing that's hot in this story. Nebuchadnezzar is burning in anger again here because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have just told him to his face very boldly, that they will not serve his gods or bow down to the golden statue that he had set up, (laughs) despite his threats to throw the three of them into the furnace if they didn't comply. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated Seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, two Sundays ago, we pointed out how often, if you were with us, how often the word image is used in Daniel chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 3, and how in the original Aramaic text, it's always the word Selem. So, for example, in Daniel 2.31... Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed about a great Salem, a great image. And this Salem, this image in his dream had been frightening. And it turned out in the dream that the Salem, the image, was doomed for destruction. And then as chapter 3 began, Nebuchadnezzar had constructed his own Salem. His own image of gold, and he had demanded that everybody worship it. So if the first Selem in the dream was doomed, the second one at the start of chapter 3 was idolatrous and lifeless. So doomed, and then the next Selem, idolatrous, lifeless. And now, here in verse 19, we get another instance of that Aramaic word salem in the original text, which is translated this time into English as the word expression. So literally it reads the salem of Nebuchadnezzar's face changed. The image of Nebuchadnezzar's face changed. So salem is now connected. We need to see the genius of the scripture writers here. Salem is now connected to Nebuchadnezzar's face (laughs) the first salem chapter 2 was doomed the second salem at the start of chapter 3 was idolatrous and now the third salem here at verse 19 is Nebuchadnezzar's own sour face furious with these three young guys who have just refused his compelled worship order and in his hot rage Nebuchadnezzar purposes to make something else very hot. So he supplies the Babylonian furnace workers with pallets of coal and pallets of lighter fluid and tanks of butane. And he orders this smelting furnace to be heated to maximum intensity, to be heated as hot as it will possibly go. And then he keeps his promise that he had made back in verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar had promised these three young men that should they refuse the order to worship the statue, that they'd end up in the burning, fiery furnace. And now in verse 20, he orders some of his mighty men, the mighty men of his army, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to what? Cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar isn't playing here. Now, last Sunday, we had those repeated, humorous lists in the text of Babylonian officials and Babylonian musical instruments. And now in verse 21, we get a new list. Watch this. Then these men, that is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their, here comes the list, in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. Interesting. Why this list of clothing items? Cloaks, tunics, hats, and other garments. Well, I think the basic point in giving us this list is simply to emphasize how flammable these three young men were. All these clothing items they were wearing were fuel that would enhance an already blazing fire. And as we read this in the narrative, we are meant to ask ourselves, well, how could it possibly go well for these three young men? Things are not looking good at all. Now my friend, how about you? Do you find yourself this morning in some sort of threatening furnace? Are you giving up hope? I encourage you to keep reading the story with us this morning. Things look dire very dire for these three young men. In fact, it seems to be game over for them altogether as we get to the end of verse 21, when Nebuchadnezzar makes good on his promise and they are thrown into the furnace. They're in the furnace. But in genius fashion, the scripture writer, we need to see, keeps us in suspense several verses. We don't know how the three young men fare inside the furnace until we read a few more verses. So come with me now to verse 22. In verse 22, we hear about some other guys. (laughs) Namely, we hear about Nebuchadnezzar's special ops people who had marched the three young men to the furnace. Because the king's order was urgent And the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those special ops men who had taken up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow! That is some fire. If the heat of this thing incinerated those workers who were outside of the furnace, then nobody stands any chance of survival if thrown into the furnace. Surely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are goners. Now, notice, friends, the irony here. I want you to see this. Notice the irony. The irony is that these special ops guys obeyed Nebuchadnezzar's orders and died for their efforts. Notice, they obeyed and they died. Despite Nebuchadnezzar's grandiose claim back at 315 that no God could rescue from his mighty hand, remember that? He can't even keep his own men from dying while they're in his hands and doing his bidding. But we still don't know the ultimate fate of our three protagonists, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What's become of them? Verse 23. Here we get a repetition now, essentially, of what we've already been told. And again, this is meant to build the suspense even more in the narrative. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Most likely, these three were thrown down into the furnace from the top which would be open. And there would be also a door to the furnace on the side one of the sides of this thing. So now we've been told twice that they're in the overheated furnace but what became of them did they become cinders and ash. I feel like the guy on the, the old Batman show what happened Too bad tune in next time right. So at the beginning this this morning, we noted that Nebuchadnezzar became furious and angry on three separate occasions now in the text. But now he experiences a different kind of emotion. Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. He's astonished, English Standard Version, or he is shocked, common English Bible, Or he is astounded, New American Standard Bible. Or startled, New English translation. I want to read the first sentence of verse 24 from the New International Version, because I think it captures the scene here perhaps the best. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. Notice, picture it. To get you to leap to your feet in amazement, there has to be something truly overwhelming that is happening right before your eyes. He declared to his counselors, looking in, right? Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. So Nebuchadnezzar and his henchmen have now proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that they can all count to three. Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, but I see how many men? Four men, unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. Seven times overheated furnace. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now for us to get some of the impact of what's happening here in verse 25. Let's talk just for a moment about the number seven. The number seven, as used in scripture, is a number that represents completeness. We were told in verse 19 that Nebuchadnezzar made this fire seven times hotter than normal. That is to say, completely hot, right? As hot as it could possibly be. And add to that this fact, friends. That in this third chapter of Daniel, up to this point in the story, up to this point in the story, we've also had a sevenfold repetition of the phrase burning fiery furnace. So in verse 6, again in 11, in 15, in 17, in 20, 21, and 23, seven times burning fiery furnace as the writer's way of stressing the completeness and the finality of the execution order. So the fire couldn't have been hotter and the death decree couldn't have been any more final. Things were looking altogether hopeless for these three boys. Now in verse 25, we have this human king Leaping to his feet in astonishment and shouting, Look! Look into the fire! There are four unbound, unharmed men in there walking around. Now, in the original Aramaic text, we do have Nebuchadnezzar shouting, Look! The English Standard Version decided not to translate it. But it does appear in both the New American Standard Bible and in the NIV. Here's the NIV. Look! I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, what is happening here, friends? What is going on? And we might put it like this, that with his eyes, with his eyes... Nebuchadnezzar is witnessing a literal display of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Isaiah 43, verse 2, in action here, where God declares, When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Nebuchadnezzar sees with his eyes that verse manifested as he peers into that furnace. And for Nebuchadnezzar, we might say, we might put it like this, that this is, so to speak, his burning bush moment. But instead of a Bush burning and not being consumed. It's three of God's servants who are not consumed as the fire is blazing all around them. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has miscalculated here. He has gravely miscalculated. Maybe he didn't know that the God, the God we worship this morning... The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is entire. listen, he is entirely comfortable in fire. Did you know that? God is entirely comfortable in fire. Didn't Nebuchadnezzar know that during the Exodus, God had gone with Israel in a pillar of fire by night? Was Nebuchadnezzar unaware that God had descended onto Sinai in fire, Exodus 19, 18? We can assume that Nebuchadnezzar had not read Psalm 148, verse 8, which declares that fire fulfills God's word. That fire is but an instrument belonging to God. Nebuchadnezzar had never laid his eyes on Ezekiel 1.27, where in Ezekiel's vision of God, Ezekiel sees a figure with the appearance of fire enclosed all around. Nebuchadnezzar obviously didn't yet have opportunity to read Daniel 7 and verse 9 and 10, where Daniel describes God's throne, picture it, God's throne, as fiery flames with wheels like burning fire and with a stream of fire issuing and coming out from God himself. And of course, the writing of the book of Revelation was still a long way off from Nebuchadnezzar, where in Revelation 4, verse 5, seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God stand before his throne my friends god is entirely comfortable in fire this fiery furnace belonging to nebuchadnezzar was meant to be so scary wasn't it it was meant to be threatening it was meant to be horrifying it was meant to be the ultimate doom for anyone who would dare to defy this human king. But we need to understand that to God, it was nothing. When you walk, are you walking through fire this morning? When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, because God said so, and the flame shall not consume you. Nebuchadnezzar stares into the side door of this furnace, and he sees Four men, notice, instead of the three that he had thrown in. Who was the fourth man? I hear some of you whispering where I'm going. Now notice, the pagan king, the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, ancient Near Eastern pagan king, describes the fourth man as some sort of divine being. He says in his polytheistic thinking, many gods, he says. The fourth man looks like a son of the gods. Or, in the New Revised Standard Version, the fourth has the appearance of a god. The best that Nebuchadnezzar can come up with is that this fourth man is some sort of divine being, and being a divine being, this fourth man is outside the realm, we need to understand, outside the realm of Nebuchadnezzar's control this right. fourth man, has just shown up. Now, we can't be totally dogmatic about this. We can't be completely 100% sure about this. But my sense is that the fourth man in the fire was a manifestation of the eternal Christ centuries before his incarnation in Bethlehem. It would make good sense, I think, since Jesus is... Emmanuel, right? God with us. He's there in the fire, acting as both a companion to and a protector of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if it's true that the fourth man is, think about this, if it's true that the fourth man is the eternal Son of God, then for Nebuchadnezzar, this is his very first confrontation with the rock that he had dreamed about in chapter 2. For us as believers in Jesus in 2023, there is great reassurance in these verses. Notice, friends, that the three young men were not spared, notice this carefully, they were not spared from going into the fire. However, they enjoyed the presence of God while in the fire. They were not alone as they passed through the fire. God was there in the midst and he's with us, isn't he, in all of our furnaces. Psalm 91, 15, God says of his people, he says of us, I will be with them in trouble. I will be with them in trouble. Now, I want you to hear and I want you to take to heart the wise words of Dale Davis. I'll have it on the screen there. He says this. Listen to this. Christ did not keep them out of the furnace, but found them in it. He does not always shield you from all distresses and dangers, but it is in the loneliness in the betrayal, in the loss, that the fourth man comes and walks with you. He has the knack of both exposing you to, yet keeping you through waters and rivers and fire. And operating rooms, Jennifer, and funeral parlors, and an empty house. The fourth man can always find his people. Isn't that a tremendous truth and just a tremendous encouragement? The fourth man can always, always find his people. Well, it seems as if when the fourth man entered the furnace with the other three, he found the thermostat set far too high. And so he turned it down. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar's men had died when they just went near this overheated furnace? Now in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar is, we notice, able to come right near to the door of the furnace, which must mean that the fourth man lowered the heat of this thing. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Now, <clears throat> this little emotional roller coaster of a human king named Nebuchadnezzar created this problem in the first place and now he barks the command doesn't he for these three boys to come out of his fire I read this this week and I thought to myself our king of kings Jesus Christ is so much better isn't he he weeps At the tomb of Lazarus, and then in great mercy, with unmatched power, Jesus commands dead Lazarus to be animated again, saying, come out, Lazarus. And Lazarus lives. Jesus is so much better and so much more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar could ever hope to be. Well, the last time we heard about the satraps, prefects, governors, and counselors, we remember they had been focused very intently on a false god. Last week, this group of mindless automatons had gathered themselves before Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue in blind bureaucratic goodness, (laughs) and they fell down before that statue in worship. And now they appear again in the story, in verse 27, where they now see something altogether new. Namely, they see evidence now of the power of the true God. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power did we read that right? <laughs> the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads, Jesus said, all the hairs of your head are numbered. It doesn't have to number many on mine these, these, these days. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks, their cloaks, clothes were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. See what's happening here, my friends. God is making his fame and his power and his greatness known outside of Israel. You see that through this incredibly difficult furnace experience of the three young men, God's glory is going to the nations, in this case to these Babylonian officials who we noted last week, are from the nations. They are now witnesses to the true God's magnificence. Now, do you believe that God can use your furnace experiences and his faithful hand with you in those experiences? Can he use that to spread his great fame? Of course he can. These guys had been in this seven times heated furnace of fire and not only was their hair not singed, they also had no burn marks on all that clothing that we heard about in verse 21 and they didn't even smell like fire. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he had so arrogantly asked these boys, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Remember that? And now Nebuchadnezzar has found out that God has come thundering back with the truth of Deuteronomy 32, 39, where God said, there is none who can deliver from my hand. These three boys had been in God's hand all along, amen? And Nebuchadnezzar was powerless to take them out of that hand, even with his scary furnace. My believing brothers and sisters, I hope this morning that we are assured from this divinely inspired story of Daniel that no matter what happens with us, whether we walk out of our furnace alive or whether we proceed directly from our furnace to eternal life, God never leaves us. Our faith, as we said last week, is in him. We are safe in life and in death in his hand. Chapter 3 then ends with Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to all of this. We've seen him furious, we've seen him astounded. Where is he at now, this emotional roller coaster of a king? So after the boys emerge out of the furnace unharmed, unfried, Nebuchadnezzar says, strange guy, this guy. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. So Nebuchadnezzar pays homage to Israel's God here a little bit in the first half of the verse. And then he switches and proceeds also to pay homage to the three young men in the second half of the verse. I think Nebuchadnezzar is a little (laughs) shell-shocked at the very strange developments that have just been taking place. He continues in verse 29, therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, listen to this. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Huh, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. Now we've heard him make that threat before, haven't we? Back in chapter 2. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Now we wonder about this decree a little bit. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar, notice carefully, he stopped short of commanding everyone to worship the God of Israel. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar, I think maybe his statue is still set up, right? At this point, we haven't heard anything that he's taken it down. Exclusive worship is reserved for the statue. All he says here is, no one is to verbalize any disrespect toward Yahweh, the God of Israel. So the idea here for Nebuchadnezzar is this, that Israel's God, Yahweh, must certainly be respected amongst the gods, perhaps even regarded maybe in the top echelon of the gods. But at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar remains a committed polytheist who worships a buffet of gods. At the very least, maybe, maybe we see a little bit of progress in his spiritual formation. Again, back in verse 15 of this chapter, he had asked that question, who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? And now notice at the end of verse 29, he answers his own question when he says that there is no other God other than Yahweh of Israel who was able to rescue (laughs) in this way. So Yahweh of Israel can deliver people out of Nebuchadnezzar's hands and Nebuchadnezzar so much as admits it now so maybe he's growing just a little bit and the final verse this morning says that nebuchadnezzar promoted these three young guys in the province of babylon a radical change a radical contrast from the first verse that we looked at this morning where in peaked fury he ordered their deaths right and in the span of 12 verses now they are promoted so this is a massive turnaround from death sentence to promotion. Who has orchestrated this? God has. Now, perhaps this morning, my friends, as you listen to the word of God, you found yourself relating at some level to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe some of you right now, and I know some of you are, facing some sort of dreadful furnace, something that's very threatening to you. Something in your life that is very disconcerting. You need to see, as we wrap this to a close now, you need to see that God has a history of bringing people through their furnaces. Of delivering them from their furnaces. Not only did God bring the three young men through their furnace in Daniel chapter 3, he also brought Israel out of Egypt. And in three different places in the Old Testament, he calls that experience of slavery in Egypt a furnace. Deuteronomy 4, verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. 1 Kings 8.51, as Solomon prays, at the dedication of the Jerusalem temple, he says to God that Israel is your people, Lord, and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. And in Jeremiah eleven four, there's a third mention of Egypt as an iron furnace out of which God brings Israel. God has a history, friends, of bringing his people out of their furnaces of affliction. We've seen how the story of Daniel is set in Babylon during the exile to Babylon. And in Isaiah 48, verse 10, God calls that Babylonian exile experience the furnace of affliction. Only 10 verses later, in Isaiah forty-eight twenty, God promises to free his people from that furnace. And he did. God has a history of bringing his people out of their furnaces of affliction. So my believing friend, if you are going through some sort of furnace experience right now, some fiery trial, as Peter calls it, in 1 Peter 4.12, you have the assurance that the fourth man is with you in the fire with all his resources, all his sustaining love, all his care, and even in that fire, what's he doing? He's continuing to shape you and conform you to Christ. And you also have the assurance that because of Jesus and his redeeming you, you have been spared from the ultimate threatening furnace the fires of hell. Jesus described the fires of hell in language borrowed directly from Daniel 3. He said in Matthew 13, 40 through 42, that at the end of the age, there will be a series of of events that take place. The Son of Man, he said, will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, said Jesus, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But for you, if indeed you are a person covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, if indeed you are a person born again by the Holy Spirit of God, if indeed you are a person who has received as Lord and Savior the one whom the loving Father sent to redeem the world, Jesus Christ, then your eternity, my friend, is not the fiery furnace, but eternal life spent in a glorified, resurrected body with him in the new heavens and in the new earth. And right now, your fiery trial, your furnace, has not, cannot, will not separate you from his love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you and adore you. You are so good to us. Lord, there is nothing on this earth that we can encounter where you are not with us as our God with all mighty resources from on high. We give you praise, we give you thanks, because, Lord, with you we are safe. And, Father, I pray that we would go forth into this world later this week, later today even, as witnesses to your great love and power. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us in all our furnaces. In Jesus' name, amen.